Would you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Psalms, which is in the Old Testament and about the middle of your Bible. And as you're turning there, I just want to say this is probably my favorite book in the Bible. You have a favorite book of the Bible? Uh, this is probably mine. The book of Psalms, it's a collection of 150 prayers that were each originally set to music and they would have been sung in the early gatherings of the Israelites um, when God's people met together. They are, so like I said, they're, they're a collection of prayers, uh, so it's really pertinent for us to be studying from one of them uh, in our series this summer. Uh, but the Psalms, they cover a gambit of emotions and themes. They, many of them are joyful prayers, celebrating uh, and praising God for his greatness and majesty. Some are prayers of confession. Uh, and some, like the Psalm we're going to look at this morning, are, uh, are prayers of lament. They are prayers that, that if you just listen to them, they're, they're heartfelt cries for God's mercy and deliverance. They are just very emotional and human prayers. And that, that's what I appreciate about this book. These psalms that were written by men like David and Asaph and Solomon, they're just real men. They, they had real relationships. They had real emotions, real fears, real sins, real desires. And these were men, these were men who at times, they really struggled to have hope and faith in God. They genuinely believed in God, but they were sometimes struggling to sense God's nearness they were men who trusted in God's goodness, but also at times struggled with despair. They were men who genuinely worshipped and praised God and delighted in Him, but at times struggled to feel joy and peace and rest in Him. They were men like me, who were, I mean, who is at times tempted to feel overwhelmed with the responsibilities of my life. At times more aware of my own weakness and failure and limitations than I am of the strength of God inside me. At times just can be busy with building my own little kingdom instead of being busy with building the kingdom of God. Can be distracted by the trinkets of this world instead of treasuring Christ. Can be afraid of what others might think of me or how they might treat me instead of fighting to please my Savior. And that was all just this past week preparing for this message. At times, we can feel tempted to be hopeless. But reading and meditating and praying through passages like the one we're going to look at this morning has helped me to realign my soul in these times and help me not to lose hope. For centuries, passages like we're going to look at this morning have helped God's people to do that very thing. And I, I pray that this morning, God will again use this psalm, this prayer, from this man uh, to, again, help us in our fight for joy and hope. So I'm very much looking forward to considering this psalm, and we're going to turn to Psalm 42. Psalm 42. So go ahead and turn your Bibles there. And as you turn there, I guess it would be helpful to know that we're also going to read Psalm 43. So we're going to read 42 and 43 together, and that's intentional. It's generally accepted that Psalm 42 and 43 kind of go together. Um, there's a refrain that you find in both Psalms that are the same exact words, uh, once in Psalm 43 and twice in Psalm 42. And as you'll see, you know, it's obviously that the, the, the idea of Psalm 43 kind of completes the thought that's happening in Psalm 42. Uh, so we're going to read those two Psalms together. 
Um, so let's, let's do that. Let's, let's read this psalm together. Let's listen in on the prayer closet of this psalmist as he fights for his soul to hope in God. Psalm 42. This is God's word. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. My salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray. O Lord, we we ask you to do again what you do every time. Your word is preached, Lord, and that is to give faith to us as we hear it preached. Lord, as we listen to your word, Lord, help us to see. God, give us, give us eyes of faith that are able to see our own lives clearly, that are able to see you clearly. God, and give us hope this morning as we learn from this man and his life of prayer. We love you, Lord. Speak to us now. Amen. So as we take some time to take a closer look at this prayer, I'm going to just try to we're just kind of walk through the whole thing, and I'm going to try to point out a couple of lessons about prayer that I think we can learn from the psalmist. I'm so grateful for passages in scripture like these, because they, they really help to normalize our humanity. They show us how our own difficult experiences in life really aren't that far off from the experiences of the biblical authors, and that should be comforting to us. So let's look again at just what the psalmist is feeling about his life. Let's see how he describes that. In verse 3 of, of chapter 42, he says, my, 
My tears have been my food day and night. He doesn't have an appetite. In verse 5, he says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil with me? He's depressed. He's downcast. Verse 9, he says, Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? He's sad. He's crying. Again in verse 9, he says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? He feels abandoned. In verse 10, he says, It's with deadly wounds in my bones. My adversaries taunt me. He feels attacked by the people that are around him. And in verse 7, he says, Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. It says, if he, he feels like he can barely keep his head above water. Does life ever feel like any of that to you? I mean, life for the psalmist here just seems to be hard in almost every way. And that, I think, is a, a good first lesson for us to take from the psalmist. That first lesson is that the Christian life is hard. I guess that maybe should be a no-brainer, uh, but I, I think if we're honest, sometimes we can just be tempted to think that life after salvation should be easy for us. I mean, after all, we've been given eternal life and the hope of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. We aren't enslaved to the power of sin anymore. We have Chick-fil-A. Why can't all of life be like Chick-fil-A? Just, just a pleasure. Always a pleasure. This prayer is a very sobering reminder that life can bring seasons that are hard. Emotionally hard. You're here this morning and you're experiencing sadness or grief. Or loss. It can be physically hard. You feel pain in your body this morning. Are you aging faster than you thought you would? You experienced chronic illness. It's physically hard. It's also relationally hard. We're going to spend some time, like Pastor Ronald said, in a couple of weeks, praying for our relationships, praying for conflict that we have, praying for mismanaged expectations communication, praying for sin that we've experienced from one another. Life is relationally hard. It's mentally hard. We have things like depression and anxiety and fear that can cloud our minds and keep us from understanding what in the world life is supposed to be about. In these difficult seasons, we will be tempted, like the psalmist here, to allow our souls to harden These difficulties are like the sun with its scorching heat bearing down on the soil of our souls. And, you know, the psalmist, he he knew that God was a refuge. We hear him say that at some point in the psalm. He knew God could easily, if he chose to, give him shelter. He even tells us in verse 4 that he remembers what it was like to be in the house of God, the praises of God, filling his mouth. Look in verse 4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. But now his praises, they're, they're dried up. That ever happened for you? ever come into the gathering of God's people and just can't seem to muster any kind of words out of your mouth, out of your soul? He's got spiritual dry mouth. His mouth is parched. He feels far from God, alone and exposed in a dangerous, barren desert, the sun of his circumstances beating down on him. It's not just his mouth that's dry. It's his very soul, he says, that thirsts. 
Verse 1 says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? The psalmist reaches for the most intense craving he could think of. And he says, that's what my life feels like right now. Like, if I don't get a drop of water, I'm going to die. His spiritual condition is manifesting physical symptoms. You can hear the desperation in his voice. He's panting, thirsting, exhaustion, despair. But let's pay attention to what he does. Because what he does is very insightful. He, He picks a fight. And let's see, who who does he pick a fight against? He picks a fight against his own soul. In verse 5, we've read this already, but let's read it again. It says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He could have looked at the circumstances. He could have, he could have, pointed his finger at them and said, this thing is the problem. This is why this is happening. But instead, he picks a fight with his own soul. He, he goes inside and he says, why are you doing this to me? Why are you in turmoil? Don't do that. Hope in God. And this takes us to our second lesson that we can learn from this psalm. And that is that we need to talk to ourselves. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his book, Spiritual Depression, gives us this insight Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, why art thou cast down? What business have you to be disquieted? You must turn on yourself, upbraid yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, hope thou in God. Instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God. Who God is. And what God is. And what God has done. And what God has pledged himself to do. It's a very helpful lesson for us to grasp. Not sure about you, but I just don't naturally find it easy to talk to myself. For some of you, maybe that comes a little too naturally. We know who you are. I don't know if you know who you are. Uh, It's much easier for me to wake up in the morning, though, and and just be bombarded with the thoughts in my own head of the day and everything that's coming and everything that I forgot to do yesterday. And before I know it, I'm I'm overanalyzing my entire life to death and muttering about in my mind in a downward spiral that could sink me for days. Oh God, help us to learn this lesson well from Dr. Jones and from the psalmist. Sometimes the very means by which God intends to turn our thirsty, despairing souls around is not to have us read a book or listen to a podcast or phone a friend or meet with a pastor, though all those things are very good gifts and we must be using them regularly. Sometimes the very thing your soul needs to snap itself out of hopelessness is an appointment with God in your prayer closet. To have a heart-to-heart with your stubborn heart. This is exactly what the psalmist does. He gives himself a gospel self-talk. It might have sounded something like, Soul, why are you depressed? What's your problem? Are you not a child of God? Have you not been bought by the blood of his son Jesus? Then why are you despairing? Stop it. Hope in God. You know he's good and loving and sovereign. You know he cares for you and is patient. 
and is working all things for good for those who love him. And he loves you. This will pass. You will not feel distant from him forever. In fact, you will again praise him. If not in this life, for sure in the life to come. And that's something God has made certain. Because he has saved you and made you his own. So, so don't be downcast. Hope in him. I think these are the kinds of things that we do in our prayer closets. We fight for hope. We talk to ourselves. The psalmist says, talk to yourself. At this point in the psalm, wouldn't it be nice if that was all that we had to do? We just had to talk to ourselves and have the hope of our souls restored. But I think it's insightful to see this in verse 6, the beginning of verse 6, that unfortunately in the real world, this isn't the way that it always plays out. It's not the way it played out for the psalmist. Look at verse 6, it says this, Right after he says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation, my God. He says this, my soul is cast down within me. He seemed initially to have successfully commanded his soul to hope in God. But then, surprisingly, the very next words out of his mouth are found here. My soul is cast down within me. I'm so, I'm so grateful for this verse. Because it feels so much like my actual prayer life. So often I, I know the right things to say and the right things to believe, but still just have trouble actually making progress in the fight for hope. But this is why we need things like these psalms and why we need to study God's word. There are rich lessons to be learned, like what we have to learn in the next section of this psalm, which I think is this, when, when your soul is downcast, don't give up, continue fighting. Remember the sovereign love of God. Verse 6 says this, Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Earlier in the psalm, we, uh, we saw the psalmist in order to fight for hope. We saw how he remembered how he would go to the house of God and be with the people of God, singing and dancing in, in the procession. And for a moment at least, it seemed like he had given himself some hope. But now, far away from that house and city of Jerusalem, out in the mountainside, he turns his attention the attention of his soul, to the one who is always present with him. He says, not therefore I remember the things that you do, but he says, therefore I remember you. It's as if you can hear an uptick in the psalmist's resolve here. He's got a renewed energy to fight. And he's going to need it because the fight for hope requires remembering God's sovereign love. And sometimes that takes a lot of work. Remember, his life's not been easy. Look in verse 7. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. I can relate to this experience. Can you? Life sometimes feels like we're headed for a waterfall, doesn't it? You hear the roar of the rapids. You see the blank horizon. The thought of falling over the cliff is terrifying. Life can feel like that, can it? Sometimes life feels more like standing beneath a waterfall, getting pelted over and over and over again, and fighting to keep your head above water, longing to just get a break to catch your breath, but never seems to come. I know some of you in this room can relate to that, and you probably can relate to it even better than I can. Um, maybe you, you felt crushed beneath the weight of it all. Your relationship with God your marriage, your children, your parents, your friends, your relatives, your pets, your weight, your dental hygiene, your vehicles, your social media accounts, your job, 
your church, your future, your own sinfulness. It's crushing you. Let's take another look at what the psalmist says, though, in verse 7. It says, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. The psalmist feels the overwhelming pain of each and every wave as they break over his head and is tempted to despair, but he fights to remember whose hand it is that sends the waves. So many men in church history have experienced such great seasons of depression and have written books to to help us in our own seasons. Uh, Some men, like William Cooper, wrote songs to help us to process life and to remember what's true. William Cooper was a man who who wrote hymns in the 1700s. He struggled severely with depression. He attempted to take his own life a dozen or more occasions. Um, But he, he gave us one of the richest hymns I think I've ever heard. You might be familiar with some of the lyrics because they just become so well known over the last couple of centuries. But these lyrics have helped, literally, I would imagine hundreds of thousands of Christians to think rightly about God's providence in our suffering. So let me read the first two stanzas to you. God moves. So just as we read this, remember William Cooper, a man struggling with depression, um, wanting to take his life. Just remember, remember that as we read these words. God moves in a mysterious way. His wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Oh Lord, would we see your face in the midst of all that feels difficult for us. In verse 8, the psalmist continues his fight with another way to help his soul remember the Lord's steadfast love. He says this, By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I think the next lesson that we can learn from the psalmist is that singing helps us to remember. It can be hard to sing when our souls are cast down. We can have trouble meaning the words we are saying. Therefore, we feel like singing is hypocritical or not authentic or genuine. And so, therefore, I guess it's just pointless And sometimes we can just not really feel like singing at all. But one of the best ways that we can counsel our souls out of darkness is to fill our mouths with the worship of God. That's what we were doing together this morning. That's what we get to do together most Sunday mornings. But this morning when we sang, Now to the king on the throne, who was and is to come, and to the lamb who was slain be glory. He's in control. He's worthy. Or when we sang, Who is like the Lord our God, 
strong to say faithful in love. Have you forgotten that? When we sang, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, strong defender of my weary heart. He's our protection. Or when we sang, my king has crushed the curse of death and I am his forever. What good news that is. The psalmist knew that his songs were faithful friends in the battle for hope. So he keeps them close. He carries them with him in the night when he can't put his own words together. He listens to them command the steadfast love of the Lord throughout the day when he's busy with all that he's responsible for. He knows if only he can keep singing the truth to his soul, eventually they will help him break through his darkness. What a gift music and songs are to us in prayer. Do you pray songs? I'd encourage you. We make the songs that we sing on Sunday mornings available inside of our app and on our website. Songs in the Sunday tab. We have a songs for Sunday section. Go look up those songs. Look up the lyrics to those songs. Take those lyrics with you into your prayer closets throughout the week. Pray those lyrics to your soul. Sing those lyrics to God. And find hope. Let them well up affection for God. The next lesson the psalmist teaches us is to humbly question God. I won't spend a lot of time on this point because I think some of the other guys have covered this in previous messages. But since it's in our text, I think it's worth mentioning again. Like, like we've seen in other heroes of the faith, Job and, and Daniel and Moses and even Jesus himself, the psalmist shows us yet again that there is a, a, a way to humbly bring your questions to God in prayer. Look in verse 9 of chapter 42. It says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Then skip down to chapter 43, verse 2. It says, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? You can hear the confusion and desperation in the psalmist's voice. Why, Lord? But before we're we're mistaken, let's just make, let's make sure we don't make the mistake. The, psalm, the psalmist isn't calling into question the power or trustworthiness of God. No, in fact, the very address of God as my rock shows that he isn't looking to abandon ship or to find another savior like we are so often quick to do when God doesn't seem to do things the way that we think he should or that way, in a way that makes sense to us or that pleases us. We can get impatient or feel entitled or overconfident in our assessment of our situation and we can then be accusing God, accusatory of God, of being unfair to us. But this is not what the psalmist is doing. The psalmist believes with all of his despairing heart that there is no safer refuge in which to hide. No surer rock on which to stand. He knows salvation can only come from God and him alone. But... When, he know, when what he knows to be true about God doesn't line up with what he sees in his own eyes, he isn't afraid to humbly ask God why. He also isn't afraid to humbly tell God what he thinks God should be doing. He con- he's confident enough in his knowledge of God to ask God to act like God. Now that's, that sounds like borderline heresy. 
But I, I think that that's what we see the psalmist doing in here. Let's look, at, let's look at the beginning of chapter 43. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. That's what the Lord does, isn't it? From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. That's what God does. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. There's not another God. You are the God I take refuge in. Why have you rejected me, God? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Doesn't God do that? The psalmist says, God, do it again. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill, not to my own holy hill, not to my own kingdom. Lord, let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. It's almost as if the psalm is just saying, enough already. I've done everything I know to do, God. God, I know you are in control of every living thing under the sun. You can just speak a word and entire nations will bow to you. So come to my aid. This is what we do in our prayer closets. Lord, I'm sure I don't have the right perspective on everything I see. But you do. You are light. You are truth. Would you please send your light and truth into the darkness of my soul and lead me back to yourself. This is how the psalmist prayed and this is how we can learn from him to pray. We need this kind of reflex. Present and active and growing in our souls. If what we know to be true doesn't feel true, or doesn't seem to appear true at the moment, we cannot lose hope. We mustn't give up. Even if God seems silent or distant, or seems to have forgotten you, or it feels as though he's forsaken you, if you are truly his child, bought by the blood of his son Jesus and adopted into his family, trust his word that tells you that he hasn't let you go, and he never will. So much of God's heart and posture toward us has already been revealed to us. In so many categories, we really can know what God desires and what he intends to accomplish. He's already revealed it in his word. We just need to know it and believe it and obey it and ask him to do it in our midst. We need God's light and truth to lead us to his holy hill. We need to regularly run into our prayer closets with the Holy Spirit guiding our hearts and God's word guiding our minds. We need to keep fighting. Which takes us to our last lesson from the psalmist. The psalmist tells us, never stop fighting for hope in the promised salvation of God. One day, None of us will have to hope. We won't have to thirst. We won't be panting or mourning or failing or despairing. We'll finally be with the Lord. And that that really is true for us as Christians. We really will do that. That's not something we have to hope for and then wonder if it's going to happen. We will be with the Lord one day. Listen to verse 4 in chapter 43. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Eric Raymond says that about that day, we'll we'll move from restless to resting, from hurting to healed, and from hungry to satisfied. Don't you long for that? Notice the refrain at the end 
of Psalm 43. It's as if the psalmist is saying, the fight continues, no shortcuts, don't give up. He says this again to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. It's a wonderful psalm. It's a psalm that I hope is able to comfort you if you are currently experiencing a season of darkness and despair and thirst. And I hope it's a psalm that you remember when you come into those seasons. Because if you're not in one now, it, it's likely that one's coming. I told Pastor Keith last week that I just had a burden in my soul for this morning, uh, for what, as far as I could sense, uh, just seemed to be that the Lord was saying there were a number of folks in the church who would describe themselves as being in the midst of a prolonged season of difficulty. As I spent some time just praying for you and for us, a few words came to mind that I think might describe what life feels like for some of us right now. Words like wrestling and discontent, exhausted, scattered, despairing, disengaged, numb, fearful. And the sense I think the Lord gave me for you was that that you, you haven't let anyone else know that those words describe what life feels like for you right now. I think, I think God wants you to know that he knows what you feel like. And he doesn't just know, he, he cares for you. And he wants you to be refreshed. So, if that's you, I, I just... I would we'd love to pray for you this morning, to pray for you in this season. Um, you know, usually we have folks come down and um, and receive ministry. I, I just want to. I think I just want to pray for you from where you are. But if if that is you and and you are being identified by any of those words, and those words are not words that other people know about you. I would encourage you to reach out to someone who is close to you and let them know, hey, when Eric was talking about those words at the end of the message, those words, they describe me. And I don't, I don't know if you know that, but they, they describe me right now. Um, and I, I had a passage that I just wanted to share as an encouragement to any of you guys who are thirsty here. Um, it's from Isaiah chapter 41 verse 17 and 18, it says this, is a promise that God gives us for our seasons of thirstiness. It says, when the poor and needy seek water and there is none and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers on the bare heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry lands springs of water. If you're thirsty this morning, praise God for his grace. Don't be discouraged. Even if only deep within your soul you can hear the faintest whisper crying, I, I need that water. 
Don't delay another second. Cry out to Jesus, the living water. Come, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Come, church, to the fountain. Dip your hands deep down into his flowing, life-giving streams, and draw up for yourself a cup of his refreshing waters, and quench the longing in your soul for peace and joy and the all-satisfying well of his presence. Life will be hard. Panting will come. Life will make you thirsty. It, it will. Let's be like the psalmist and let's run into our prayer closets, talking to ourselves, singing our songs in the night, asking God to be God as we pour out our souls in prayer and fighting for hope and the promised salvation of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word that reveals to us just so much of what we need to believe about you and to be aware of in our own souls that we weren't aware of. Lord, I'm just grateful for how often I've come to your word in prayer and thinking one way about my life and you, you show me so much other stuff that I need to be thinking. Um, I thank you for your Holy Spirit that works in our midst. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who allows us to have access to your presence in a way that the psalmist didn't have access. Lord, we can now not just long for a place, a building to go to, to find you. Lord, you, you dwell inside of us. Lord, thank you for that. Lord, let that comfort and encourage us this morning. Lord, and I do pray for any brothers or sisters here who, who would identify with that word that I shared earlier. Lord, if there is discouragement or disengagement or numbness or fear, thirstiness, exhaustion, Lord, if any of those things are true of any of us in here, uh, Lord, would you remind us that you know, that you're aware, that you care, and that you, you are the one that's gonna satisfy us. Lord, help us to respond to this word this week. Lord, by running to our prayer closets, by not being uh, okay with, with the state of our souls that we find ourselves in, not, not being okay with wave after wave just breaking over us without putting up a fight in your presence. Lord, teach us from this psalmist, Lord, what it means to pray, to really pray and to find our hope in you. And Lord, we ask that you would... Um, Help us to, to have faith as we sing this song together to you. In your name we pray, amen.